0: Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in.
1: We are so glad to have you with us for another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast. My name is Tim Wright, along with Dr. Michael Gurian. And uh, today we're back with more of your listener questions. In fact, we're going to try to cover two of them today. If you have a question you'd like to submit to the program, we really enjoy getting your questions and uh, helps us speak to the things that you're really interested in. Wonderofparenting.com. Wonderofparenting.com. And there's a place where you can uh, submit a question. Uh, There's a place on there where you can join our Facebook page, and that's a private group, by the way, so when you go there, um, our admin person will allow you in, and everybody gets in, but we want to make it uh, a private discussion for Just Wonder of Parenting podcast listeners, and uh, there's ways for you to interact with us there. And uh, there are other ways to interact as well. Michael is doing some great work over at Patreon uh, for a $10 subscription. You uh, are going to get some video clips from Michael answering some of these questions and giving us sort of some, some head starts on the questions that you're asking. And uh, also access to a lot of uh, other things that he has, blogs that you can uh, get there. And uh, she's got some online courses. It's really good stuff. It's just $10 a month. And you can opt in, opt out at any time. And there's also a link to our good friends over at the Center of Place of Hope up in the Seattle area, doing great work. And we encourage you, if you ever are going through emotional kinds of challenges or behavioral challenges, you or family members, to check them out. The link is on the website. Uh, As I mentioned uh, the last several podcasts, we've got a lot of questions, and um, we're taking a couple of them today that seem to have similar themes to them. Mm -hmm. And the first one is a very short question, but that doesn't mean it's a small topic. Um, And the subject line, uh, Mom writes, my six-year-old son stapled his finger, (laughs) and and this is the message. Why would my six-year-old son be drawn to something like this? I have previously advised him not to mess with the stapler, explaining what it is for, and that his grandmother did it. Oh, and that his grandmother did it when she was a child, and how it can hurt. Uh, today he stapled his thumb, lots of blood and crying. Thank you. Uh, so what? It, it, I love the way that she wrote this question. Uh, you can just sense the exasperation as it says, "What in the world is wrong with this kid?" <laughs> and uh you know we you and i kind of laugh because it's sort of boy behavior but maybe a little deeper than that so let's start with this one and uh you know first of all what would you say to mom uh in response to that question why is any kid stapling his thumb and doing it multiple times
2: I, I, multiple times <laughs> yeah and of course you and i chuckle because uh, uh, as having been boys, you know, we, we do these sorts of things. I, I, am I just want to say to this mom, based on what we have, have here, I am not going to pathologize this child at all. This, I am going to see this as normal boy development behavior, normal brain development behavior. He's, he's trying to see how things work. He, he's, um, uh, you know, it causes him pain him on one finger and he thinks, well, maybe I can do it this next time on my thumb so it doesn't cause me pain. And and he is key, uh, unless there is some pathology here, which I, I just don't want to go that direction. I mean, if there's some pathology here, it's going to have to do with the sort of thing we study with self-cutting, you know, where where the child has to cause pain uh, to feel the self, you know, and that's, that is something that can be diagnosed, and I think this boy's too young for that. So I'm not going in that direction. If he does, I will just say in parentheses, if he does continue this sort of thing and it causes him extreme pain um, and it continues for a long period of time, for many months, and he keeps doing this, then let's get counseling and see if there's something underneath. But in terms of normal boy behavior, I would put this in the realm of normal boy behavior and that he would he would at some point feel the pain grow out of it. Her, her telling him, which she should do and has to do, you know, your grandma... Did this? It hurt her. Her telling him this is good, um, but his brain is going to need to learn this experientially. And as the problem-solving parts of the brain, and as the pressure receptors in the brain, and the pain receptors in his skin—you know—as all these things operate, and um, he learns lessons from them experientially, his—he his, should store away what he learned, and then you know he should mature out of it.
1: You tell a story in one of your books, and I know we've talked about this on a podcast, but it was many, many, many episodes before, um, that I I thought of right away when I read this, and it's about the boys playing darts. So kind of summarize that for us, and and I want to tease out of that story and maybe out of this story a little bit about boy behavior.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I use that one as as, a a story to activate our brains as people are, you know, I, I speak quite a bit, right? I travel and speak and, and I'll tell that story. These 13 year old boys who are friends, there are five of them, really good friends with each other. And they, they, uh, the guy's an adult now remembering it. And he says, all five of us turned out very well. Um, but he remembers back and they would go into a basement, turn the light off, make it completely dark. And then they throw metal pointed darts at each other. And of course they're ducking, they're getting hit by the darts. Um, And they're, you know, if one of them really gets hurt bad, he yells, ow, or maybe starts to cry. So they turn the light on. And with one of the guys, they see that that a dart is dangling from his cheek right below his eye. And and I use that story to prove the drive in boys to do this kind of thing um, with themselves and with each other. And the drive is even stronger because the boys don't stop throwing the darts. They just go upstairs, go to their homes, get goggles, come back put the goggles on and then they keep throwing darts. So, so what, what is it about males in terms of how they bond, how they want to prove themselves, how they want to put each other through pain, how they want to feel the pain, you know, and then we can get into like a half hour of talking about this because we have to remember, and it's often hard for moms Because they live in a different body and different nerve systems. But boys, we don't have as many nerve endings as females do, you know, like in our fingers, under our skin. We don't. Um, so we, we just we, – it's one of the reasons we take in more pain. We expe- we experience more physical pain because we put each other through more of it, and we ourselves do high-risk things that put our bodies through more of it. We even play sports like football, um, those kids who play football that cause more pain, you know, and there's – and it can sometimes feel so foreign to, to someone else, to some, to some dads for sure, but mainly to more moms, it feels foreign because – Moms feel more pain. And, of course, the, we bracket out pregnancy and giving birth. Giving birth and pregnancy is, is, is incredibly painful. Um, uh, but that is episodic and, and uh, happens one time or two times or three times in the mom's life. And it's substantial. But it's not the same as starting out this young, stapling your finger, you know, to try to see what that's like. And then later, I'm guessing, if not already, this boy will do things like throwing darts with the other guys, so I, I divide it into three things that boys are trying to do. They're trying to prove themselves. They're always trying to prove themselves. It's built into testosterone. They're going to try to prove themselves. They're trying to bond. Now, this guy's just doing it with himself, but I, I believe he's going to use it for bonding or already is, wrestling, causing pain to each other to bond. Uh, and they bond by living through the pain and laughing about it. And then number three, the, the kind of problem solving in the brain that involves experientially having to take things to their limit to see how to solve the problem. So staple my finger to see if it really works with that finger and maybe not the other finger. Then staple the other finger, oh yeah, that that finger too, And and then kind of get that experiential learning. So what should mom be
1: looking for with her little boy where this moves from being sort of boy behavior, it's normal, to what you were talking about earlier where this is really a problem? Are there some signs that she can watch for?
2: Yeah, if this is if this is something else you know that and we're in the realm of pathologizing or the boy has a brain disorder of some kind which I don't think he does but if it's gonna get to that she's gonna see some signs she's gonna see some depression perhaps it's gonna be something some kind of mood change mood shift something going on with mood um, she should look for that uh, she should look for obviously the continuation of this behavior even beyond the learning points you know so if he if he's stayeded let's let's be literal if he staples all his fingers all 10 which i don't think he will but if he does do that he cries he feels the pain but then he starts it all over again right mm-hmm. like now we're a month down the line or two months down the line and he does it all over again um then i think we have passed the learning so now we're looking at why is he want to cause himself physical pain and um and we would look in the context she would look is he bonding with others no is he uh, and does this fit is he having some mood shifts if there's something going on with perhaps depression or something like that um and then the third thing to look at is anxiety is there an external anxiety stimulant like um school I'll, I'll, uh, let's say that he's having trouble in school and does this behavior um causing himself pain, does it follow, like, does it happen at the end of the school day? Because he's got all that pent-up anxiety um, from not doing well at school, and then he does this behavior after school. Okay, that, that you know, could be on the anxiety spectrum, and then it's a response to anxiety. So then I would, you know, I definitely ask a counselor, psychiatrist to look at that.
1: So assuming that this is just normal boy behavior, how should mom respond uh, the next time he staples his finger,
0: families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone for and up, like delicious lolly focus pops or lolly mellow pops for kids. And for parents, try three new brainy chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage.
2: Oh, I just go through the process, you know, say, I mean, someone on the air, we're not going to say this, but there's a parent out there who's going to go, that is just stupid, you know, and, and I can't say the son is going to be hurt by that. I mean, it's, you're just going to, as a parent, you're just going to be exasperated. You're going to have an organic response to that with this boy. And it's great to have your organic response. Are you kidding? You did that again? Haven't you learned that that hurts? You know, stuff like that. Um, uh, and, of course, going to clean up ha, clean up the mess with him and, at this point, have him clean up his own blood, you know, once he stops crying. I mean, let him take responsibility. Um, uh, if he's severely hurt, of course, we're going to take him to a doctor or something. But probably it's going to hurt. He, there's blood to clean up. You put a Band-Aid on him and you talk to him, you know, and say, say why did you do that? what made you do that you know he's six he can he has words we can try to get at these words and then we revisit it an hour later when he's had more time to think about why he did it because as we know boys sometimes can't come up with the immediate response we want right they got to ponder uh why they did something so then an hour later we ask him again um uh, i think that's the the best she can do she she's gonna organically try to hide the stapler from him i'm sure she's tried that um and yes you you definitely you know if the if the Any any weapon the guy has created, we're going to hide from him. Anything that's causing pain, we're going to hide from him. That's fine. Uh, But it looks like he found the stapler again. So if he finds it again, um, uh, we're going to talk to him and try to contextualize it and try to give him the message that, you know, that's not good behavior. It's going to hurt you. uh, And let's try to figure out why.
1: So as two guys talking uh, on this podcast, Uh, we want to say to mom, first of all, yeah, it's pretty horrifying to see your son do something like that. But it may just be normal behavior, and you don't uh, need to be concerned about your son. At the same time, we do want to say, just watch it. And if you see some things, some behaviors continuing, uh, then that's probably the time to go and and, uh, find uh, someone who can help you talk these things through with your son is that fair
2: yeah yeah i think i think if this goes on and and what we find is that he's he, you know he's sort of anxious or he's there's something else going on in terms of mood or development and it gets connected to you know causing himself pain and make that we can make that connection so so we're making that connection and he's also doing it a lot and it's not to learn lessons or something like that it's not to problem solve he's just doing it a lot yeah then then i worry go get help for sure
1: our next question comes from one of our listeners in new zealand and we are so glad to have people really from all around the world it's listening amazing to us and um, she's got a question about her son and his relationship with his cat and uh, i'm gonna read just a part of the question for you here I have a 19-month-old son, so he's not very old, not even yet two years old, uh, who seems incapable of being gentle with our cat. On the whole, our son is a good listener and can follow directions very well for his age. He is also a good communicator. He is generally well-behaved and doesn't often have meltdowns or tantrums. He is very physical and loves movement, running, jumping, play, fighting, etc., all of which I encourage as long as nobody's getting hurt. Uh, I also allow him to freely express his emotions following your guidelines. He also loves uh, snuggles and is very loving and affectionate. Uh, my question, though, is what exactly should I do when he grabs the cat and tries to pull his tail, scrag his fur, drag him, etc.? Uh, I've tried being grumpy. I've tried being calm, explaining the cat is hurt. I've tried to show him that when the cat flits his tail, he isn't happy and shouldn't be touched. And I've tried removing the cat from the room and explaining to my son that the cat is hurt and upset and needs some time alone. Nothing seems to be reducing the frequency and severity of the behavior. So uh, I'm guessing that this is a fairly common experience for parents as well, as uh, particularly toddlers are trying to come to terms with their pets. Not every uh, child does this, of course, but sometimes they do. So um, what, uh, what should we tell mom about this one?
2: Yeah, this is really interesting. It, it it seems to me that the the that boy can can associate the dog with with being animate, you know, and uh, and having. Uh, well, no, I'm going to the dog because oh. the dog he doesn't.
1: Oh, I didn't go. I mean, that's edit. later. Yeah, yeah. I,
2: we should tell listeners that it's a very it's a wonderfully long email. And later she talks about that he's gentle with the dog, but he's that's not right. gentle with the cat. Yep. And that got me kind of thinking about. Um, you know, at 19 months old, it's not unusual for that brain to just see everything as toy um, and uh, and not understand the, completely the difference between animate and inanimate, living and non-living, you know, and um, so I thought that was interesting that he seems to see the dog as as living and kind of understands the boundaries with the dog, but doesn't see the cat, doesn't have the boundaries with the cat, so doesn't understand, um, you know, potentially doesn't understand that the cat is fully living, that the cat fully has boundaries that are not the sun's, you know, that that uh, that cat is separate from the sun and not a toy. But it seems like he doesn't get that. And what's interesting is that she talks about how he, even if the cat scratches him, and this isn't later in it, he says... Uh, when he does scratch my son, my son says, ouch, then carries on with whatever he was doing with the cat. It doesn't bother him because because one of the strategies that I would you know say to this mom is just, just wait until that cat really, really responds to this with your son and um, that's going to hurt, right? The son's going to get scratched. Like as I was reading the first part, that's what I thought. But then I got to the rest. It's, oh, the, the cat does scratch the son and the son still carries on. So, but with a dog, no. He has respect for the dog as a, as a separate, um, you know, sort of animate object. So what I think is going on is that this, that the 19-month-old, his brain isn't seeing everything we wish it would see, right? And since we have both a cat and a dog, and, and he's playing with the cat in the way he would play with a toy, uh, I think that this cat at some point is going to start avoiding him or, um, uh, is going to scratch him pretty hard in a way that's going to experientially teach him he can't do that behavior anymore. And I think until that happens, it's possible that they need to separate the cat from him. You know, when he's in an excited mode, like the parents will know when he's really kind of hyper. And that's probably when this happens, that he grabs the cat, wants to hug the cat, but then wants to just you know, squeeze the cat too hard or all those things, pull the cat's tail, um, that, that the cat probably has to be separated from him and that this may only be needed for another month or two, you know, because at a certain point, the cat's going to do something that wakes hit this boy up or the boy's just going to mature and wake up uh, that he can't do that anymore with the cat. Now,
1: I know that you have cats because I've been to your house and had yeah. an allergic reaction to them.
2: Uh-oh. Uh, and we have, <laughs>
1: we have dogs. Uh, so could it just be that... that dogs are better than cats. Could it just simply be that simple?
2: <laughs> that's brilliant. I remember you said that to me when you were yep. here. Um, I, that's a very good question. I have no expert answer to that question. There's, there's no brain science research on that, huh? I, I got nothing. <laughs> no, we have now our two previous cats, when you were here a couple, maybe three years ago or four years ago, those cats now are dead. Mm. And we have a new cat. Uh, and of course, we have our still have our dog, Sadie, who we've had for 11 years. She's getting quite old. Um, and, but our, you know, our kids are long out of the house, but when they were young, when they were young, I, they're two girls, but I do remember they, when they were really, really little and I, everyone I know has seen this, they, they crawl over, you know, to an animal and they swat that animal, right? Or they right. grab at that animal. And it's just so normal for their brains to do that. And then they gradually learn the boundaries because the animal responds. And, and so that's why I kind of contextualize this in that, uh, because when they swat at it, they're they're trying to get a reaction. It's sort of alive in their minds, the cat, but it's also a toy to play with, you know, and they, they're little, so they see the world as all toys to play with, and they're going to play, and they learn through play, and I, I think that's what he's doing with the cat. So I, I love this, what,
1: what you're saying is um, that that he may simply be seeing the cat more as a toy than as an animal, and for whatever reason, I think it's just because dogs are better, he's bonding with the dog <laughs> uh, more than the cat. Um and we do know that sometimes, you know, and it doesn't—the animal doesn't really matter. Some animals are really, really good with kids and with people, and some aren't necessarily. Right. Um, so, I think the advice that you gave for, um, you know, taking, uh, making sure that the cat's not in the same room as the son when the son is being overly uh, aggressive with the cat—it seems like a real simple solution to that. Um, as the boy grows. And uh, let's say let's say the behavior continues, um, which we don't think either I one don't of us think, it, think will. it will. But uh, let's say he just continues to be mean to the cat. What are how do they put boundaries in that are appropriate? He's 19 months now. Uh, let's say it continues for another three four months. He's starting to get a bit more uh, mature, so to speak, for that age. Uh, what are some boundaries that the parents can put in to help him?
2: Well, this is going to be in their discipline system. I mean, they're going to whatever is their discipline system. If it's timeouts, whatever they're going to use, they that's going to kick in. If if this continues, um, in a in a way, it can kick in now if they want. I mean, it certainly could. But but I, again, I don't think this will continue. Since he's not doing this with the dog, he's not doing this with, with his parents. There's no report that he does this with his parents or if he has siblings, with his siblings. He's only doing it with this cat. I, I you know I have to believe he'll he'll kind of arc out of this. But if if they get to a point like they've given it another month or two, you know, and then they say, okay, we're going to give it another month to see if he grows out of it. But then he doesn't, and let's say he's he's 22 months. They've set that deadline. Um, and he reaches 22 months and he's not, this is not improving, then, then he gets timeouts. You know, they need to set the boundary, explain to him the boundary, say, this is wrong behavior. Um, this is not how we treat. And, and I think that the, the way in is this is not how we treat living beings. And we show the difference. We give him his blocks. These are your blocks. You can knock your blocks around however you want. They're not living. The cat is living. And we don't want you to grow up treating living things this way you can't hit living things right and and so i think the difference between animate and inanimate living and 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 dead let's say or not alive that that's that's the way to go and we set that boundary and then we if he doesn't meet that expectation he gets he gets discipline with lucky
1: slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18
1: plus. Now, the reason why we paired this question with the one about the uh, son who staples his finger uh, was, was really just one line. And that was the only thing that had the a c- a connection. And that's the line where uh, the cat is very calm and doesn't often scratch. When he does scratch, my son says, ouch, then carries on with mm-hmm. whatever he was doing to the cat. It doesn't seem to bother him too much. And that seems to me uh, in, in part to take us back to that pain threshold that you were talking about. Um, that Yeah, the, he's not
2: feeling a lot of pain.
1: Right. And so that's not, at this point, acting as a deterrent for him.
2: No, and, th- and that's why I wondered if at some point the cat is actually going to uh, scratch him severely or, or, or something like that, you know, hiss and scratch him so severely that he actually feels that pain. I kind of wish the cat um, would do something more significant to him. But not really bad, you know? <laughs> right, and, right. And that's we the thing we can't that. control, right? We, we yeah. want him to learn experientially because that's the kind of learning that sticks. But um, we don't want him to get really badly hurt. And so, in searching for that middle ground, that's why I was saying I think these parents might have to fall back on removing the cat because probably this is going in the direction of the cat doing something that causes more pain than we want this boy to experience that right. could leave a scar you know could scratch him up and leave a scar or something so so that's why I kind of fell back on let's remove him but I wouldn't mind if this boy learned this through the amount of pain that he's experiencing it's just that as you've said that amount of pain right now is not significant
1: right so it sounds like you're advocating several different strategies one is uh, for the parents to continue to do the good work they're doing of trying to teach him the difference between his toys and a cat and that we treat living beings with, with uh, gentleness, with kindness, uh, whatever words they want to use. Uh, a second strategy is if the boy comes home or if he's getting overly uh, excitable with the cat, to just remove the cat for a while. Uh, the third strategy which is the one that you kind of hope, but not very severely, is that the cat will do something that will say to that boy, I really don't like you doing this to me. Stop it. Uh, but at the same time, as parents, uh, you know, we, we kind of hope we can get our kid to a better point before that third thing happens.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and there's worry there's worry of danger and and pain and yeah so so probably there's going to be we're going to go to the the other strategy which is removal during um ex- when the boy's excitable removal of the cat and I, I don't believe this will go on very long though i i think i mean i really think since this guy's not this boy's not doing it with others that he is a he is a kind boy you know he is a he is a good boy. You know what I mean. He's yep. not. This is not an indication that later he will be a serial killer, right? Which is every parent's <laughs> no, no, right, fear. Right, you know, right, yeah. oh my, my, my boy is hurting this animal at 19 months. Is my boy something wrong with my boy? He's gentle with everyone else, uh, or he's normal because boys sometimes aren't gentle all the time. But he's normal with everyone else. So I think he'll grow out of this relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'd say removal, and and then and there's nothing wrong with socializing kids. You know, when we see kids. When, when kids are doing something that we know as adults is not the behavior we, we want for them uh, as they grow to adulthood it's absolutely right and good to say no nope bad behavior can't do that that's part of socializing this this boy and so I would hate to see them back off of that this is a in a way the boy is providing them with a template to socialize him toward more gentleness and more empathy. And, and he, you know, there's some little part of his brain, probably the insula, is not creating the right mirror neurons to have empathy for this living being, this cat. So there's no, so he has provided a template for teaching him empathy by his relationship with the cat. And you bring up a topic that uh, we're going to need more
1: time with, but let's just touch on it. There is a movement among a lot of uh, parenting gurus, especially online, that no matter what the age of your child, you, you just you try to reason with them. Okay, why, what were you thinking? What were you doing? Um, but this boy is 19 months old. And um, so there are, there are times, I think, when we just need to say to our kids, no, that's wrong. You don't do that. Right. Um, that's a part of parenting, and kids need boundaries. Um, and, and sometimes we're a little bit nervous about creating those, especially with the sort of the new forms of parenting coming out. But what, we, what we're trying to do is raise resilient kids. Uh, kids who can navigate their way through a world of boundaries and uh, a world of uh, expectations, and if we aren't creating some of those when they're little, they're going to have a challenging time when they're adults.
2: Yeah, I I know totally what you mean about these movements, and I I I think they're you know they have just wonderful things they're trying to do. Yep. Um, and and I see, I think the difference maybe between me and and those is that I don't see an either or. Like right. I think. I think what we need to balance is authority. Our parental authority has to be 50%. And then um, reading the kid, listening to the kid, helping the kid read others, be empathic toward others, you know, reasoning with the kid. All of that is 50%. But our authority needs to be, you know, just as much, just as strong as, um, as, this reasoning ability. And for these little kids, of course, a 19-year-old boy can hardly reason at all. I mean, those parts of his brain are just not there. So um, we're going to try it, and we should. It should be 50%. But um, uh, but we our authority needs to be 50%. So I'm now talking not about authoritarian parenting, but authoritative right. parenting, which is we're the authority. We are going to socialize you toward what is good so that you can develop good character. And uh, yes, it's going to be somewhat subjective because good is filtered through our brains, but we are the authority, and this is what we're going to do. Um, and we will hold that authority, and the child will have to accede to our authority and then gradually resist our authority mm. as he individuates or she individuates and that dance is good and that dance helps mature resilience in the child when teen years come when adolescence comes because that requires the child to develop a psyche that pushes against authority so if if the authority is not well set and the boundaries are not well set and the right behavior is not provided um, that's I think an error in the first ten to twelve years of life, and and then it doubles down as an error in adolescent years because the child doesn't have this authority to push against to develop a self, and and the psyche does need that. So no problem with reasoning; all that is really neat. But it shouldn't be an either or. And I worry if it's if we reason with the child and we become so completely child centered that we think the child can run the child's own life at two. Well, that's not possible. It does right. not fit brain development. <laughs>
1: Well, Michael, as always, thank you for a uh, uh, couple good uh, responses—not a couple, a lot of really good responses to these two questions. And uh, we've got some really good stuff coming up here in the next few weeks in the podcast. I hope you'll tell your friends about it. And uh, if you've never had a chance to go over to um, like iTunes or wherever you it is that you've downloaded your uh, your podcast from us, uh, give us a review and we sure appreciate that. Tell your friends about it. Make sure you go to wonderofparenting.com. Check out all the good stuff that we have, and we're looking forward to being back with you again next week. Michael, thank you.
2: Oh, thanks, Tim. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks, everyone.